Julie. Hey, Lisa. How is your week going? It's been great. We've had an exciting week. Um, I feel very like um, energized and very productive this week. We yesterday had a our um, webinar with Rachel Miller, our resident and favorite local physical therapist, who uh, helped us answer questions about staying healthy through the pandemic, how to avoid injury, how to structure your training. And we did a, a online Zoom call slash webinar, and we had over a hundred people from all over the world sign up to join us. So it was really fun to see everybody's faces that were on the they were on the Zoom call and some of our runners who we coach that live far away and some friends locally that we haven't been able to see in a while. So that to me, as much as it's um, virtual and not, you know, obviously not a replacement for being in person and getting to see our runners or run with people or have big in-person gatherings, it's still to me, it's such a great way to connect right now. So I loved it. I thought it was great. What did you think? I thought it was great. I was a little nervous about it because when you have three people um, presenting and then you've got over a hundred people listening, something could go wrong, very wrong on Zoom. But fortunately, nothing went wrong. I thought it was a. I thought it was great, and um, I'm glad that we were able to figure out a way to not only record it but to to get the audio out there at least for others who missed it to hear. So that's. Um, presented as a bonus episode on our podcast this week. So if you if you didn't notice already, that's what that is, is just the audio production of our webinar yesterday. So um, I found it to be energizing as well. And I think the reason is, is because, and we've talked about this before, you feel kind of helpless in this situation. I feel like we could be doing more. And of course we can't, we need to stay home. And so being able to help people through something and offer that service um, to the many people who have found running to be a comfort right now um, was very comforting and exciting for us to do. Yeah. And I think too, just hearing and seeing the questions coming in, we took questions beforehand. And also while we were on the, on the call, we had people submit questions and a lot of very similar themes. And so everybody's got the same questions, regardless of where they are in their running. You know, they may be newer runners. They may be more experienced runners. They may be people who are training for something that is now off the calendar. They may be somebody who is just getting into running now because it's one of the only options available for exercise. But everyone sort of had the same thoughts and questions and concerns and uh, we're all in a similar, in a sim even though we may be in, you know, different, different boats, <laughs> we're in the same storm. So it was, that was interesting to see. And like you said, very, felt very good to be able to provide that information and help. And we always love having Rachel on to some really practical takeaways that people can do to stay healthy, because that was really the bottom line. The reason we did that was that we know that people are running a lot now because they've got some extra time on their hands. They're using it as a stress release. Uh, for whatever reason, we're, we're getting out and running a lot and we want to make sure everybody stays healthy and, and so that they can keep running for as long as this may last. And when races come back and can, can maybe target a race and be in a really good position to have, have made the most of this time. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I would say one of the, just for those who haven't had a chance to listen or are choosing not to, if you're curious, I would say one of the common themes um, one was injury project prevention and, and 
sort of oh, the one thing that we talked about was that telehealth has not been canceled. So just because you can't get into your physical therapist or your doctor, it doesn't mean you should ignore it. Um, so Rachel, for example, is offering telehealth appointments. And so if she's someone you normally see, don't feel like you can't because we are social distancing right now. So that was one question. And then another was um, what we talked about a lot in the podcast, uh, ways to stay motivated and um, also ways to avoid overtraining. So one of the questions we got that we have been seeing a lot with our runners that I just want to highlight is what if I'm walking like a lot and then I'm also running? And so our answer to that is you've, you've really got it. I can't, the walking does suddenly finding yourself walking for hours because we understand you just want to get out of the house and get fresh air and walk your dog or just walk on your own. Um, you really do need to consider that a factor in your running and um, recognize that it's still time in your feet. And if you're being coached by us, let us know that you're walking a lot. And if you're not being coached by us and you're running on your own, recognize that you shouldn't be running quite as much on a day where you've already walked five, six miles if you're not ordinarily doing that before pandemic life. Do you have anything to add, Lisa, with respect to the question? Well, most people aren't used to spending that much time on their feet. And and even though we tell people that uh, walking is a great way of cross-training on days that they're not running, uh, if they really feel like they need to get out and get some movement, walking is a a decent form of cross-training. It's still time on your feet. So definitely, I think we lose track of that and it's easy to lose track of how much time you're on your feet or how much we're doing. A lot of us are, you know, I know I'm trying some new strength classes, which I haven't done before, or people looking for different cross training options, maybe trying some different things. One thing that's interesting to me and a question that's come up a lot are challenges. People are looking for some sort of motivation, some sort of goal to have when we don't have races. So finding challenges to do. And I think the key with that is finding a challenge that fits with your training and is a smart challenge. So is a 50 miles in two days challenge smart for you right now? Probably not, but maybe depends on what your mileage is and what your, you know, what your training has been like is a, a challenge that challenges you to move four days a week and do some sort of movement four days a week, a reasonable challenge. That sounds, that sounds great. So uh, I, I think that's another question that's come up for a lot of people. Of, you know, if I want to incorporate these challenges into my into my routine. How do I do that safely? And that's in addition to the, the pandemic improvement challenge that yeah. we are doing. That that's the thinking behind that for us was we wanted a challenge that was doable for anyone that would not conflict with what they're already doing with their running. And anyone can do a mile. It's not going to be counter to any training plan, but as you mentioned, some of these other challenges might be counter to what you should be doing right now. So definitely take a step back and recognize that just because your training partner or group is doing the challenge, it doesn't mean it's necessarily right for you. And to that end, you had mentioned you're trying some new classes and and we've mentioned on on many occasions since um, we have been quarantined, all of the opportunities out there for live Zoom classes and what we've really been enjoying. But it's, I went on and tried a live Zoom class just a new one last Saturday. I was like, oh, I'll try this one. And I registered for it. I'm not going to mention what it is because I don't want to, I, I just don't want to. Because a lot of the experience, good or bad. <laughs> but this is, this is just my point is that 
I, I got onto the class and I had already registered for it. So I was committed, but the workout thankfully was posted before the class was, it was like one of these 30, 30, 30, where it was like burpees, 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 burpees. And uh, while that's great for some people, I recognized immediately that that would just completely derail my running plans for the week and would set me back. And and you're not I'm used not, to doing 30, 30, no. 30 burpees, right? Like it's not something you've no. trained up to. No, I mean, I when I do burpees, I'll do them in sets of five and take a break. I mean, it's typically within a class it's worked in. It's not do as many burpees as you can you know, until you collapse. And that's what this workout was um, because it was clearly intended to be a mostly cardio workout. So as soon as I saw that, I was like, okay, that's not the right class for me. I'll try a different one with this particular outlet, but this one is not right for me. So to that end, know that not every class, even if it's a great fitness um, outlet that's doing the Zoom class, recognize that the class for you may not be the right class for that day. Right. At this particular time in training. Exactly. You just yeah. really have to take a step back and look. So, um, yeah, no, the, the call was great. And uh, I just felt like it was really fun to connect with everyone. I think we'll, we've done a few calls with our virtual training clients, a few Zoom calls to stay connected. And I think we'll keep doing that because even um, even outside of this pandemic life, we don't get to see a lot of our virtual clients. A lot don't live in the area. And uh, it, it's a fun way. It's a fun way to connect with everybody. It's been one of the silver linings. Um, and I oh, wanted absolutely. to, just, speaking of our virtual clients, I wanted to read you a, a, a comment that one of our runners, Deb, who um, lives in Salt Lake City, just put in her final, final surge is the application that we use for training. Uh, you know, it's a virtual training log and runners can write comments. And I just wanted to tell you this cute story just as a fun diversion story. She went out for her run today and she said, well, that was fun. I got up the hill and I passed at, I'm sure, a, a um, an acceptable distance, an old guy with a t-shirt that said Boston Marathon Quarter Century Club. So I waited till he was passing and I asked him if he ran the Boston Marathon and he said yes, 39 times. He's an 83-year-old marathoner. He didn't start running until his mid-30s. He didn't run his first marathon until he was 40. And so Deb is training um, for Honolulu, which is later this year. And Deb actually uh, inspired her son's girlfriend, who we are now coaching as well, who is a badminton, um, badminton, badminton champion from um, from Japan to run the Honolulu Marathon with her? So that's just a little side comment. But she said he has run Honolulu 37 times. They were going to fly him out this year if he wants to run it. He doesn't know if he wants to. His fastest time was a 2:30. Pretty cool guy and inspiration. So I just thought that was a cool, fun story of like, you never know when you're going to find inspiration out on your run. And that's, I think that's such a neat story. So I just want to share that. I love that. Thank you for sharing. Yeah. I love it. Yep. So every week there seems to be a new hot topic with respect to um, COVID-19. So, you know, for a few weeks, it was sort of ironing out what is social distancing, running solo, running with others six feet apart. And now the topic has moved to masks. And um, it's gotten to the point where Seth Meyers put up um, a video. We put that on our Facebook page. It's actually really funny. He's like, just put on a mask. Don't be like Jason in those horror movies and come up behind people. Even he had the courtesy of wearing a mask. So it's actually super funny. Um, it, it was a little uh, triggering for me because he kept using the word joggers. And for some reason, 
always in newspaper articles. Yeah. Like if God forbid somebody's hurt or, or God forbid dies when they're running, they're not running, they're jogging. I don't know why, but that always is the case. So he is a runner himself and shame on him. He kept he using the word jogger. It's like, uh, let me just say one other, like another um, thing like that is that when people call running shoes sneakers, I don't know why people say I've got to go get my sneakers. I don't know why. I just something like you mean your running shoes, but I don't know. That actually doesn't bother me, and I'll tell you why. Because I'm from the Midwest, and I grew up. We called everything tennis shoes. Oh, okay. Growing up, everything everything was a tennis shoe, even if you never played tennis in your life. Even if you're running, so you run in a tennis shoe. Okay, exactly. So for me. The evolution from saying tennis shoe to sneaker was like a huge accomplishment for me. So oh, I, I think maybe you said sneakers to me. Maybe you're <laughs> Julie goes again, triggering me to saying sneakers. So I'm gonna go for a jog in my sneakers, sneakers. today with my mask. But right. speaking of mask, um, we are we decided this week that we were going to embrace the suck and we ordered um lean in in. we ordered run farther and faster buffs that one can wear around their neck and then when you run near people you can take the buff and put it above your nose and turn it into a mask and they're um, for anyone who doesn't know what a buff is it's like a Mm -hmm. kind of multi-purpose circular it can wear around your neck you can wear it around your head um they were they were they became popular in, during survivor i think when survivor first became a, a reality show the, the survivor buff so we've found as runners uh to wear them around our necks and pull them up over our face be, makes a pretty good um cloth mask that's easy easy to use so yeah so we leaned in and we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna get a bunch of run farther and faster buffs Yes. So those should be coming in soon. So we're going to ask everyone listening a favor and we are asking this, we've asked it before, but we are really asking you to lean in and help us out with something. And that is we need some more reviews on this podcast. It's not because we are asking for a lavish praise. I mean, a a positive review would be much appreciated, please. But it's because the way this whole podcast thing works is that people can find our podcast if we have more reviews. So while um, we're proud to say that we we have a consistent listenership and we're really appreciative to all of you who have been listening and all of the feedback has been just so appreciated, positive and um, constructive feedback because we we really welcome it. The, the iTunes um, reviews allow our podcast to to be referred from other podcasts. So, for example, when you when you listen to a podcast about running, it may show if you like this podcast, you would like Run Farther and Faster. In order for that to happen for our podcast, we need a few more reviews. Right now, we're up to seventy nine reviews, which is awesome, and we so appreciate those of you who have already reviewed our podcast. But if you haven't yet, if you could go into iTunes, um, which which is the best way to review our podcast. And if you don't know how to do it, just shoot us an email and we'll tell you how to do it. Um, And we also put up something on our Facebook page about it um, with a picture so you can see how to do it. Once you review, just send us an email, say, I reviewed your podcast and we will send you a Send us your address too, your address, address, mailing address. So we can send you a buff, exactly. So you want a buff? (laughs) Yeah. Uh, we would love to have um, some extra reviews. So if you are yeah. kind enough to do that for us, we would love 
to thank you by sending you one of the exclusive first run buffs that will be coming in shortly. Yeah, so we are, I guess, Lisa, paying for compliments <laughs> by doing this. We have no shame. Just offering, just offering a gift of gratitude for those that take yes. that extra time to, to yes, do this exactly. favor. For us. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So um, thank you in advance to anyone who's inclined to do that. Um, so next up on the podcast, we have a guest who we've had um, previously, and it's Matt Fitzgerald. Matt is a prolific author. For those of you who were in our first, our second Run Farther and Faster, Read Farther and Faster book club. You may remember he was the author of the book we, we reviewed called Diet Cults. He's also written the 80-20 book, which is a book we rely heavy on, heavily on with respect to training our runners. He's written How Bad Do You Want It? Um, he wrote last year a book that was just a beautiful memoir about his relationship with running and his wife. And we had him talk about that last year on our podcast. And in addition to being a prolific author, he also is someone who is a very high level runner and coach. But what was so interesting about his most recent book and why we wanted to have him on today is that he talks a lot about what it was like to take his running at age 46 where he hadn't had a PR in, what was it, nine years since his last PR? Yeah, it was many years. He had, you know, felt like he had plateaued and heading in the wrong direction in term, terms of his times. But he had had, he had, had a strong time uh, right before he went into this experience. But yeah, but he had, it had been a while since he had, had PR'd. Yeah, so he's someone who had been running for years and years at a very high level, thought his uh, days of uh, achieving a PR in the marathon were well over, and then decided to contact the coach of NAZ Elite, which um, is the team that um, produced a number of top-level runners, most recently at the Olympic Trials. Alephine was the winner of the women's trials, and she is from that team. But they have a lot of really well-known runners, including the Bruces and Kellen Taylor. And... Um, he went and trained with coach Ben Rosario and he wrote about that. And what is so interesting about the book that we had the opportunity to read as well as this interview is it doesn't matter whether you are a six hour marathoner, five hour, four hour, three hour, wherever you are, you will relate to what Matt wanted so badly and what he did to achieve it and what it was like for him to train in this runner's utopia in Flagstaff, Arizona. Um, he also talks about some other training aspects with respect to COVID-19 and he shares some of the knowledge that he gained um, that he has brought back to his own training and the runners he coaches. So this is just a great interview. We really enjoyed it and we always enjoy talking with Matt and we hope that you will as well. Yeah, I love what, what one thing that I took out of what he said, and everyone will hear it when, when we talk to him, but he said that you know, passion determines how far you go. And that that was, you know, we had asked him, well, everyone will hear, but, you know, it's not necessarily that you have to be the fastest runner, um, but to have that passion. Um, passion will determine how far you can go up, up your trajectory. And uh, that, to me, you know, this does apply to, it's not just the the two you know, 230, 240 marathoners or, or faster. It's, it's everybody. And really that, having that passion uh, for, for getting the best out of yourself. It's really cool. And Matt's always such a, 
fun person to talk to, so full of amazing information. Like you said, we rely on a lot of his books. We've used a lot of his books for, for our own knowledge. So he's like a, a, a fountain of information. And it's, it's neat to hear how he went as that kind of expert on all things running related into this training experience where he was a little bit of a fish out of water, uh, not you know one of the young pro runners, uh, still an accomplished runner, but you know some sort of a fish out of water. And he went in not as really the expert, but uh, but as as the student and and learning from not only his coach but the other runners. Absolutely. So um, we want to leave everyone with um, a couple. A couple weeks ago, we had a funny song from Adam Sandler, and I thought it would be nice to leave everyone with Adam Sandler's latest song about being stuck in the house. So let me put this on, and we'll leave everyone. It's a segue into having Matt on the show. <laughs> Our segue into having Matt on the show. I'm stuck in the core, got nothing to do. I miss my friends, they miss me too. Sick of watching shows and talking on Zoom. Hiding from my mom, whack it in the bathroom. Sick of the same old questions. How's it going? How you living? What you binging? What's for dinner? Tired of the same repetition. Grow a stash, shave your head, work out, that's for bitches. Tired of all the tomfoolery. Tired of my boy who still wears all his jewelry. Tired of sitting in the dark. Nothing to watch already did Ozark hand. Sandy is now my best friend. my best friend. Using it so much, it's chapping my hands. I can't wait for all this to end. So we could go back to doing normal. Stuck with my fam, I can't get out. excited to welcome Matt Fitzgerald back to our podcast. Matt, it's great to have you on again. Thank you for making time to talk to us. It's great to be back. Thank you. Yeah, and last last year on our last uh, last year's season of our podcast, we talked about to you about your book, Life is a Marathon, that came out last year that we both really enjoyed, and we were excited to see that you now have a, a new book out and uh, an experience that both of us have always said in our dreams we would love to have, which is 
taking the time to go uh, live and train somewhere with elite athletes and, and, and coaching and being able to live the life of a, of a, of a runner, like of a professional runner. So um, we're excited to talk to you about your, about your book today. Um, Before we get to the book, we thought we'd talk because we've been talking to a lot of our podcast guests about what's going on right now and what you're doing right now, now that we have races off the calendar and our lives have been just uh, turned upside down. What's going on with you? What, what did you have planned? What are you doing now for training? What, what does your life and training look like right now? <clears throat> yeah, so uh, it seems like five years ago already, but uh, I was out in Atlanta for the Olympic trials marathon. I was a spectator for that, but then I actually ran the Atlanta marathon uh, the next day. Um, and, you know, I had a really great fall and winter. I was you know, relatively healthy. I was training a lot. I was... Uh, racing um, and, and racing well. And then uh, I actually came home <clears throat> from Atlanta and got sick. Um, and I'm, I'm pretty sure it was, you know what, I, I, was, I was never able to get tested. Wow. But um, yeah, so I, I went from the mountaintop to the valley floor. Like I've never been so sick for so long in my life. I was just absolutely lost for a month. Um, but I've come out the other side of that now. My wife got it too, but not as, not as bad. Uh, but I mean, I just, I just hemorrhaged fitness during that, that month, you know, in terms of like, so it's weird, you know, I, I normally work at home. Um, I do get to travel a bit, uh, you know, for my work, but so, it, you know, everything that people who didn't get sick went through, I guess, in more early mid-March, I only went through after I was out of survival mode. And then like, now I'm missing restaurants and I wish I could get, you know, a sports massage and all, all that stuff. But one, you know, so I was looking for silver linings in, in, uh, in this experience. And one is that I did kind of emerge from it. I know a lot of runners are really struggling for motivation right now, but I emerged from it pretty hungry, you know, because, you know, I, I missed running, you know. <laughs> and so now that I can, um, you know, I'm not nearly where I was, but I'm just excited to be able to do it. Um, you know, I was going to do the Modesto Marathon here in California. It's sort of my hometown race. Um, you know, that was wiped off the calendar. But that was sort of going to be the end of my season. You know, I needed, I, I knew I was going to need a break after that. Uh, so, but everything got shuffled around. And now I'm, I'm looking at virtual races to do. Um, I'm the kind of weirdo who will go out and time trial a marathon by himself in his neighborhood. Anyway, like I've done that. Uh, yeah. So it's, I, you know, I can get pretty motivated for that sort of thing. Yeah. It's a, a new sense of gratitude now for your, for your health. Do you feel like you had any lasting effects? I mean, because this COVID-19 really attacks your lungs and, you know, the breathing ability. Do you feel like you had any, do you have any remnants of the, of the sickness? Um, you know, I, I did worry about that because, you know, some stuff, you know, definitely lingered. Um, but you know, I've been pursuing my ramp up with training. I mean, I had to be very, very cautious initially. Uh, but then once I felt safe to get more aggressive with it, I have. Um, and so, you know, I think what I'm experiencing, like I've had to back off. Like to, yesterday I was going to run 23 miles. I made it 12. Um, but I really, I think that's actually more of an effect of just seeing where my limits are and trying to push back toward fitness. I don't think that is like there's anything underlying with, with my health. I told my dad, because he said, did you hear like some of these people who, who get it are getting strokes, like, you know, young, healthy people? And I said, well, yeah, I heard that. And, 
you know, if I'm going to get one, I'm doing everything in my power to bring it on <laughs> with some of the workouts I'm doing. So far, I'm safe. <laughs> so are you finding in your recovery um, that you're doing the majority of your runs um, a little bit slower than normal? I know that you prescribe, and we'll talk a little bit more about this, normally to 80-20. Are you finding that your pace at 80, the 80 percent um, long, slow distance pace that you typically ran before COVID, are you finding it's uh, a little bit slower right now? And how are you feeling about that? Oh, yeah. Um, you know, I, yes. <laughs> you know, initially, you know, there's like a honeymoon phase, um, um, you know, where you improve very, it's almost like being a beginner again, you know, <laughs> so, you know, the first few, you know, initially, it's just you want to reintroduce your, your legs to repetitive impact. You know, like those are the adaptations you lose quickest. And especially if you're more injury prone like me. So for me, it was like, I went into a pattern of running every other day, totally going by feel with the pace, keeping it short, you know, cross training, doing non-impact stuff to build the fitness up faster. And then, but you know, on the, with that every other day pattern, every run was faster than the last, you know, mm -hmm. and, and not by forcing it, just by letting it come to me. Um, but then, you know, the honeymoon ended after <laughs> maybe three weeks of that. And I just, I realized, you know, like, especially, you know, I, I'm, I'm going to turn 49 next week. So it's, it's, it is tougher coming back, you know, mm -hmm. when you're well into middle age. <laughs> so, you know, like it, you know, uh, yeah. So it's just a matter of, you know, I, I don't do, or I, I mean, I have a heart rate, but I don't monitor. I don't really pay atten attention to it. It's mostly just like feeling my way back. Um, and yeah, I'm not, I'm not on the 80, 20 plan. I'm not more on the like 95, five plan. Uh, okay. So that was our next question. So you answered it. You're, your information is actually super helpful. We didn't anticipate you sharing that you actually were sick and we're sorry that happened. And we're very appreciative of the information you're sharing because we are coaching some runners who have had COVID and yeah. they are frustrated with their performance right now. And while we can say as coaches, don't worry about it, you're recovering and you just need to acknowledge what your body can do yeah. right now, hearing it from an experienced season runner and coach like you and that you are going through the exact same thing um, will be very helpful to our listeners who are also going through a similar circumstance. Is there anything that you want to add while we're still on this topic about your return to running post COVID and any advice um, or information that you've learned that you'd like to share? Um, you know, it's, it's, it's mostly, uh, it's mostly common sense, really. You, you know, I think most of the people who you describe who are going through it and are frustrated, they could give another runner good advice. You know, it's like, well, I mean, the advice you give them, they could probably give someone else. It's, it's when it's you that you, you, and I deal with it, you know, as a self-coached athlete, you know, like the same common sense that you could give to someone else is hard for you to follow. You know, it was probably insane for me to even attempt to run 23 miles yesterday. I had run 20 four days before, you know, that's pretty aggressive. And, yeah. <laughs> but I, I, in point of fact, I did not force it. I planned a route that would give me a bailout opportunity and I didn't let it shatter me. You know, you know, it's funny early in the run, I had a phone call with an athlete I coach and, um, you know, I let him know what I was doing. I was four miles into the run then. So when I actually talked to him again later in the day, he's like, well, how did that 23 miler go? And I, I told him, hey, I had to bail out. 
and he sort of expected me to be devastated. And I'm like, no, you know, it's, you know, it's like, it's not like I'm suddenly bad at running, you know, but I under, I get it. You can lose perspective. So, you know, I, I do encourage people all the time, like pretend you're just advising someone else. Like it's not you, it's someone else. And it, it can help you sort of, you know, get your rational uh, mind back back in charge. <laughs> I think that's so important, especially what you said about that you're not a bad runner all of a sudden. You maybe you know, you changed your course in the middle of your, your plan, you changed your plan, but it doesn't make you a bad runner. So that's super important for people, for people to keep in mind. Yep. So you mentioned you're doing more of a 95.5 or 90.10 right now. What, um, if, if you could give some um, advice specific to 80.20, and for those who haven't read 80.20, it, I'm going to summarize it the best I can, but tell me if, if um, you want to add anything to it. It's that we as athletes need to run slower and that the majority of our runs, 80%, need to be at a pace that is probably much slower than what we're running. Lisa and I call it slower than that gray zone where you're not going too fast and you're not going too slow. And by doing that, you're recovering and allowing your body to really capitalize on the 20% that you gain from those speed workouts. Yep. So ordinarily, that's how we coach, and we love your 80-20 book. It echoes everything we believe as coaches and as runners ourselves, especially master's runners. But now all the rules have changed because we're in a pandemic, and we want to know what you're, you're doing, which you've answered somewhat, and also what you're advising your runners during this specific time. Yeah, I mean, um, so I guess, you know, two things. Like if, if you – if you've been healthy and you're just, you know, you know, your race calendar has been shredded and maybe, you know, you know, you don't have training partners anymore. Like that Wednesday track workout is, is gone, that sort of stuff. Um, I, you know, I've been telling people to, uh, to go by field, you know, I, I've seen everything from people just deprioritizing running for a while and saying, you know what, there's a season for everything. I'm just going to focus on some other stuff. Like the motivation's not there. And then like all the way to the other side where some people are just really getting after the virtual races. And I think I'm going to be, I'm going to be closer to that side when I'm ready. Um, <laughs> I think as long as you are doing what feels right, th there, there's no wrong answer. Like literally anything in that spectrum can be the right move. If, if it's just what feels right at, at the moment, you know, for, for almost all of us, I feel bad for the pros right now. I mean, if you think of, I was honestly, not, not the segue to the book yet, but, um, you know, those careers are short. Like one year, losing a year out of what might be an eight-year career is rough. Um, but for us, you know, the rest of us, it, it's a hobby. And so you can, you can, you know, you can really get after it, at, you know, sometimes, but it doesn't have to be all the time. And there, you can just like sort of, um, put it, put it on the back burner or, or, or anything in between. So it just in terms of like how you strategically handle it, that's what I advise. Just do what feels right. Don't feel obligated. You know, if someone is trying to sell you on the virtual races and you're just like, eh, not feeling it, that's fine. Like, don't do it just because, you know, a training partner is really into it. Um, and then if you have been sick, you know, the, the th thing to keep in mind is, um, you know, high intensity is a crucial part of the equation. Like you can't get to the mountaintop fitness wise without doing some, some high intensity running, but a little bit goes a long way. So 
when I'm returning either from an injury or, or an illness, um, I keep that in mind. Like if I'm, if last week I did zero high intensity running, just adding a tiny bit this week is going to make a noticeable difference. And so I, I, I reintroduce it. Usually my first little foray will be um, like a fast finish. So I might just do seven miles easy. And then the last mile just sort of go by feel, but sort of push it in. And if that goes okay, if that feels okay, maybe two, three days later, I'll do um, some uphill uh, reps. Like the, the, the best way to reintroduce high intensity is very short and very fast because your body can actually handle that pretty well. Like, you know, it's, it's like those longer, hard, but not super, super hard intervals that are really the most taxing and you want to wait a bit on those. But you can sprint, you know, just don't do too much of it. Um, but that, that, that stuff just goes a long way. So I did that as well. It was like, you know, 10 times 30 seconds up the only hill in my neighborhood. And I could tell, you know, I wasn't going as fast as I used to. Big deal. Like, you know, I was, I was looking for the benefit I would get from that. And then everything's an experiment. Like if that didn't go well, I would have had to just, you know, back off and try something a little gentler the next time. If, if you sort of pass the test, then you can move on to something maybe a little more challenging, a little more in the direction of race space specificity. But yeah, just with high intensity, you need it, but a very little bit goes a long way. Great advice. So let, let's take that segue and go, go into your book because we really want to talk about it and hear more about your experience and what you learn not only as a runner, but also as a coach and how you incorporate those training principles now if you, you know, made any changes. But why don't you start by kind of telling us why, why you wrote the book? Yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean, you know, I've been running since I was a preteen. Um, you know, I, you know, I've been at it for a long time and, you know, I was pretty serious. I was way into it in high school and, you know, I'm sure not much has changed, you know, like if like you're really into a sport at that age, you, you fantasize about taking it all the way. You know, I think surveys have been done. You know, I think it's most more so with boys than girls, but like if you survey third graders about what they want to be when they grow up, like I think, you know, most of the girls want to be pop singers and most of the guys want to be professional athletes. Um, and, I bet and, that's changing though. Yeah. Well, <laughs> how so? Like more, more girls wanting to be. Oh yeah. yeah. yeah, I, yeah. I would expect that. I mean, <laughs> It's, it was, it's been a long time since I was in the yeah. third grade. Yeah. Who knows? Maybe, maybe more boys want to be pop singers now. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, no, no doubt. So, I mean, it's because like it's, it's being paid to play. I mean, so of course, when you're a kid, like that's what you're into is playing and like, you know, yeah. Who wouldn't want to you know, be paid to, to play? So, you know, but I also, I knew I wasn't going to the Olympics or anything like, you know, I was a, I was a good high school athlete. And that was about the extent of it. But, but, you know, part of the reason I wanted to write this book is to, because, you know, I am a good runner. Like I, I'm definitely you know, above average talent wise, even though I was, you know, never going to the Olympics also. But, but one of the, one of the things that I want to people to understand is that, you know, it's your passion that should determine how far you take a sport, not your talent, you know? So I've always invested more into running than my talent deserves, you know? But, be, but because I'm as passionate as any pro about running, I just, I don't, I don't feel guilty about it, you know? Like I have an understanding spouse who, who lets me, mm -hmm. you know, really, uh, 
you know, chase my dreams, you know, dream, the dreams that, you know, fit, fit my level. And I really encourage um, other athletes to have the same mentality. It's, I mean, you know, every, everyone sets their own limit. You know, if you have a career that you're into and a, and a busy family life, well, I mean, you're not going to let your sport dominate. Um, but, but also don't, I think a lot of athletes put an artificial ceiling on, on how, how far they, it's like, oh, I'm not good enough to deserve, um, you know, more expensive shoes or going in for those sports massages. You know what I mean? Like things that could help you run better. Like, yes, you do deserve those things. Like you decide if you can justify the expense or the time or whatever. So just by doing this thing, you know, I, I, I talked the coach of a professional running team in Flagstaff into allowing me to join the team, like as an honorary member for an entire summer. Um, and obviously I was living out a personal fantasy. Like even if I weren't a writer and I weren't sharing the experience, that would just be an awesome thing to experience. But obviously I very much did it with the intention of sharing the experience with did other you did you have to convince Ben Rosario, the coach of Nazali, to um, bring you on board, or was he? Did he right away buy into the idea? He he bought into it right away. Um, you know, the the funny thing is, you know, I took part of my inspiration for, for this from a book called Paper Lion, which was written in the early 1960s uh, by a writer named George Plimpton, and he he did this with professional football, of course, you know professional football was very different in the early 1960s. Like this could never happen now, but he talked, excuse me, he talked to the coach of the Detroit Lions into letting him participate um, in uh, their summer, a summer training camp with the team. Like he, he was in the quarterback position, but obviously, you know, the last string quarterback, he wasn't, he wasn't getting a lot of, a lot of reps, but so, I don't know. It's the Lions. You never know. <laughs> <laughs> good point. I, yeah, I think they. I think they were pretty good back then. I don't know. They were. I think back then. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, and there were only like eight teams back then too. Don't forget. Uh, but anywho, you know. So, but even then, even then, it took it took Plimpton two years to talk a team into letting him do that. And for me, it took one email literally one email and it shows you like how different running is from, from other pro sports. And, but you know, there are, there are a number of pro teams out there, you know, scattered around the country. And there's a reason I approached NAZ elite first. And it was, it's really that they're all about, um, you know, Ben is very savvy. I mean, he's a great coach, but he also, he's, um, he understands that, that running, running is not really a fan sport, you know? And so, he knows that like it's not enough for his athletes just to perform well in races. Like if they want to really sort of professionalize um, what, what they do, they need to connect with the broader running community. So they're very open and transparent. They just share their journey. Um, so I figured because Ben had that mindset that he would kind of get it um, that like, I would be more likely to get a yes from him than I would from uh, other uh, pro coaches of pro teams. And, and that turned out to be true. It also helped that we knew each other. We'd never met, but we knew each other a little bit. Um, I knew he had read things I had written and I had read things he had written. Um, and so, yeah, but it was like, it was, he, it was, it was an immediate yes. And he was as good as his word, you know, cause he said, if you come out here, you will be a full fledged member of the team. Like I wasn't getting paid, but uh, it was one thing to say that it's another to actually follow up on it. Cause like, once I'm out there, I can tell 
if I'm getting, you know, as much attention and, and, you know, the resources. Um, and he really did follow through, which was great. Did you have any fears? Did you have any fears of, or, you know, or anxieties of, about, about, you know, imposter syndrome or anything? I mean, you're, you are, we, we should say you are a very accomplished runner in your own right with very impressive finish times and, and accomplishments. So it's not like you were going out there as a total newbie that, you know, didn't even know anything. And, and you know, you're, you're known as really the preeminent writer on, on all things related to, to endurance sports. So it wasn't like you were going out there as a, as a total newbie, but did you have any reservations? Were you worried about anything? Oh yeah. Um, it wasn't so much the, I mean, I, I experienced imposter syndrome, but not in that environment because I was just so obviously not, at their level, you know, like I was, I was 46 years old at the time. So even like, just, you know, if I'm standing with them, it's like that old Sesame street thing, one of these things. And you know, and like if I were, if I'd even been close to them in speed, you know, it, it might've been a little different, but I was just way slower than, you know, I mean, there's men and women on the team. Obviously I was closer to the women, but the women on the team were just way faster than me. And, so, it, And just to give our listeners a frame of reference, um, Matt went into this um, training program with a 2.41 marathon PR and right. with his recent marathon 2.48. Is that correct? I, I recently run 2.49, yes. 2.49. Yes. So, yeah. So that's a frame of reference. Go ahead. Keep right. going. <laughs> I mean, you know, so the women on the team were – those who ran were marathoners were mm -hmm. 228 uh, ish. Mm -hmm. um, and so, I mean, that, that's, I understand that if you're a four and a half hour marathon, those kind of sound the same. Like, mm -hmm. trust me, they're not. They're like, not. I, like Ben had to, like when, when he was orchestrating workouts for the team, especially like some of the point to point ones on, uh, there's a famous road out there, Lake Mary road where they do a lot of their road training. And, you know, he had to like, he had to account for how much slower I was and how he planned the whole day, you know? So, I mean, like, so, so I think it helped that I was just, I just, I didn't fit in. I couldn't fit in. I didn't have to worry about it. The thing I did worry about was getting hurt um, because I am injury prone. And I, I, I met, actually had an opportunity to sit down with Ben and, and the team's agent, Josh Cox. Um, we were, we were, we were out, they were out this way in Sacramento and, and I remember telling Ben, we were just sort of planning that I was going to go out the following summer. This was December of the year before. I remember telling Ben, like, I will get hurt at some point when I'm out there. During these 13 weeks, I'm not being pessimistic. I'm just telling you, like, be ready. Um, and sure enough, like, I did. Um, but uh, so that was, you know, because I didn't, I, I, I mean, I was, this was a bit of a high wire act. Like, I mean, the pro, pro athletes have a lot of pressure on them, you know, because they have to perform. I had a different kind of pressure. Like I was trying to write about this and I needed some, or I felt I needed some kind of happy ending to it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, as in all my years of running, I, I had had enough sad endings <laughs> to training <laughs> cycles to know that it was a real risk. I mean, it, there was a very real risk that it wasn't going to work out and I wouldn't have much of a story to tell, or at least not a very inspiring one. So let's, let's go back to that for a second, because we, we did want to ask you, because you knew that there was a strong possibility that you would get hurt, 
did you work with Ben Rosario on sort of developing your training plan or did you instead just completely rely on him and say to yourself, I'm just going to trust everything he says and not present my own judgments because I want to see if this works. And how did that feel mentally knowing that he didn't know your body as much as you know your body? Yeah. Yeah. I, I put myself completely in his hands, but like, like any good coach, like he wanted he wanted the process to be collaborative, mm -hmm. not, not because I am also a coach, but just because that's the way good coaching works is that mm -hmm. you take a lot of information. So, um, you know, he, he, he got to know me as well as he could um, before I was actually you know, on the ground with him. And I think, you know, like one thing I impressed on him was that I have had to rely on cross training very, very heavily, you know, and it helped, you know, partly that I'm into triathlons as well. So it's just like a lot of runners, you have to really twist their arm to get them to cross train. But, you know, I told him, I told him, you know, I've, I've trained for and completed 50 mile ultra marathons running only every other day, but, but training 15, 16 hours a week, you know, in, in total. And I think, you know, it was very helpful for him to know that I, that I had um, had, that I had that formula and that it worked for me because if it had been completely up to him and I had just said, I can't handle, you know, running 13 times a week, then he wouldn't have had quite as many tools at his disposal. So I absolutely trusted him. Like in point of fact, he's a better coach than I am. So like, <laughs> like, I mean, like to put myself in his hands, I was better off than being in my own hands, like truly, but he also needed input from, from me. So it, it worked out really well in that regard. So specific, is there anything specific that you learn from your training with Ben Rosario, um, in addition to what you just shared, um, that you um, took away that you have implemented in your own training? And then the second part of that question, is there anything with respect to your coaching that you've changed from your experience with Ben Rosario that you've taken into your coaching? Yeah, um, definitely. You know, the, the merit, I mean, I was training, I was training for the Chicago marathon. I, I wanted to do you know, I needed, you know, obviously it had to end with some big climax, right? So, mm -hmm. you know, I told, when I was sitting down with Ben and Josh Cox, the agent, I said, you know, I want, I would like to train for a marathon that at least one member of the team is also running. Um, Cause that would, uh, for obvious reasons, it just helps the arc of the story. So I chose the Chicago marathon, which um, Aaron Braun, um, he's since left the team, but, uh, but he was also training for that one. Um, and so I was in marathon mode um, because not everyone on the team is focused. Like if, you know, they, they do the track, they, they do roads, different distances, they do cross country. Um, and, you know, I definitely, I trained for this marathon a little differently than, than I had on my own. Um, we did a, a lot of work in that, the range of, well, I guess from marathon pace to what Ben calls critical velocity, which is like mm -hmm. pace you could hold for 30 minutes. Um, so for almost everyone, that's actually faster than 10 K slower than five K. Um, um, exactly how much, you know, depends on, on, on your ability, but so, uh, really a lot of work in that moderate intensity range, um, faster stuff was in there, but it was like more like seasoning, you know, sprinkled, mm -hmm. sprinkled in. And that just worked really well for me. Like I remember Ben telling me at one point, he said, you know, the mistake a lot of people make in marathon training is that 
it's really just 10K training with long runs out of the hunt. And, and I was sort of like, all right, I'm a, I'm a little guilty of that. You know, the ex example he gave, and I actually shared this in the book. And by the way, even though this book is narrative, I'm telling a story, like you can learn a ton just by oh, reading yeah. it because it's, it's yeah. all in there. But Ben gave the example of like a lot of people in marathon training, they might go out and run six times one mile at 10K pace. Well, you know, with jogs or passive rest or whatever. And the rationale is like, well, you know, doing that amount of work, fat, you know, it makes marathon pace feel easier. And Ben said his retort to that is, yeah, it makes it feel easier for about 10 miles. <laughs> a marathon's 26. What happens so, when you get to mile 20? <laughs> right. So he liked to see people do stuff, a lot of stuff like from marathon pace to, you know, half marathon and a little like, you know, threshold pace. And, and you can actually handle most runners who are, sort of built for the marathon can handle a lot of that. I, I could. Um, and also there, there weren't, there were very few like easy long runs. Like the idea is like you, you get to the point where running 26.2 miles is no problem. Like you can go the distance. It's like, can you go the distance fast? So, so his formula was usually um, kind of like two long runs a week, like a, a medium long and a, and a long and usually they both contained up-tempo running of some sort or another. So it was a nice balance. Like you're, you're, you're doing a lot of quality work, but you're not just tossing yourself into the fire um, and, and being asked to take on something you really can't handle. Um, and so that, that worked very well for me. And I've, it, it sort of definitely shifted how I, I now coach marathon training and I would say ultra marathon training um as well I, I i continue to sort of follow that formula uh my, myself and you know it's not it's not a wholesale like i it's not like i had to start over but it's like a, right. like a, a tweaking of the formula mm -hmm. that i went into the experience with. Mm -hmm. let's go back a little and talk about so you you know you mentioned that you're injury prone and you were worried about getting injured um talk a little bit about uh what happened to you and your injury and how you how you how you handled that how you trained around it. Yeah. Where I live, there's not a lot of trails. Um, Flagstaff is just a paradise of, of trails. So, you know, we did all of our easy runs on trails. Um, and I was there for I think, like at least 10 days with the team before I ran. So it's just like an embarrassment of riches and, and like just all these awesome trails to to run on and you know we were only on the roads for like, like workouts and um uh so that helped i, I really think so because you know I, I was you know i got up to if i hadn't got hurt i might have gotten a little higher but i got up to i had a bunch of weeks in like the 80 to 90 mile range which is a lot for me and i as, you know i did you know, I was always on the verge. I always had a trouble spot somewhere, like an, you know, like an, my Achilles was flaring up at first, and then I injured my groin, and uh, you know, there were one or two other things that that came up. So I always was hurting somewhere, but overall, I was just absorbing the the training really well. I just I felt good. I only had like two or three bad runs the whole time I was there. Like so, there was I was going nowhere near being overtrained. So I think I think the trails helped with that. Um, you know, I was like, I was getting a sports massage from someone really good, like every week. Um, I think that made a difference. 
um, I was like, you know, because I was like constantly on the verge of falling apart, like the team has basically their own physical therapist. So I, I was in, I was in his office sometimes five times a week, (laughs) um, like almost Mm -hmm. daily at certain points. And like, you know, all these things add up to just, it's hard to like assign percentages or like a, like a pie graph. It's like, Oh, you know, my success was 13% the Mm -hmm. massage and uh, 15% the high altitude, but, um, it was, it was all this stuff. Um, you know, just added together. Like, you know, it's, it's stuff that you probably for the most part know that you should do when you're home on your own, but like it's, you, you, you cut corners. Like, um, but you know, I mean, I was all in, you know, like I, it was only 13 weeks mm-hmm. of my life. Like, so I didn't always want to do like all the corrective exercises mm-hmm. that, uh, you know, the physical therapist gave me to do, but, um, I did them and like, you do all those little things and, and they add up, added up to, I just, you know, I started to feel just younger. Honestly, I felt like I was aging in reverse. Like I was, I was, I was doing so much hard work that it was challenging, but I just, I remember two weeks out from the, from the Chicago marathon telling one of the guys on the team, it's like, I've never felt this good, this close to a marathon. Just never. It wasn't, wasn't, I don't know. I wasn't even necessarily didn't, didn't, it's not like any miracles had occurred with my fitness. I just, I was really fit and I just felt great. I just like, I would get out of bed in the morning. I'm like, I'm ready to go. Um, Do you think part of that is attributable to the fact that you were sort of in this fantasy world um, where you didn't have the stresses um, that we often feel in life and you were solely focused on being part of this wonderful team where all of you shared the same mission of um, accomplishing your goals. Do you think that that, caused you to have be in a, a place where you're happier and then that impacted your running absolutely yes mm-hmm. and that's that's the hardest one to put on that pie chart mm-hmm. i was referring to because it's like it's intangible um but yeah i had a few conversations with uh with folks out there there's a moment i described in the, uh the book it was early on um the the, t- the whole team went up and met on top of a ski resort called snowball and like as if 7,000 feet, like Flagstaff is at 7,000 feet, as if that wasn't high enough. Like we all drove up, this is like on a, on a random Tuesday or something, drove up to 9,000 feet just to do an easy run. Um, and I remember getting out of the, the, my car and accosting one of the guys on the team, Scott Smith, and saying like, so you know, what's the rationale for, for, tra- <laughs> for training up here? And he said, it's beautiful. I'm like, and I was like, I'm, I meant the physiological rationale. He looked at me like I was nuts. He was like, <laughs> it's like, dude, we're, we're still human beings. Like, you know, yeah, we're professional athletes, but like, we like to run in beautiful places. And at one point during the run, this was really, it, made, it was more mind blowing than it should have been for, for me. But like at one point during this run, the, the runners just stopped to admire the view. Like, <laughs> and I thought it was like, I like, I thought these guys are at work right now. Like it, this is like their coffee break. Like they're just, they're interrupting their training just because like they're human and they're like, check out that view. Isn't that awesome? And, and I think there's really something to that. Like Scott Smith's answer to my question was just spot on. It's beautiful. Um, so I think, you know, I was, I was in a place that I loved. I mean, it's really, Flagstaff is truly just a runner's paradise. And then, I was, yeah, I was living this fantasy life. I, I loved being around the people, you know, everyone was so much younger than me. I started to feel, I think that's part of the reason I started to feel younger. It's just everywhere I looked, someone, you know, 
I mean, the coach then was nine years younger than me. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, the physical therapist was 12 years younger than me, but the massage therapist, the agent, like, I'm seriously, every, everybody, I was like- It doesn't take much anymore, you know, for I people know. to be younger than us, unfortunately. <laughs> like the odds, you know, you get towards 50, it's like you got a 50-50 shot. People are going to be younger, right, yes. people are going yeah. to be younger. Yeah. <laughs> So I, th that is very compelling to us that um, what you just shared, because so much of running is related to successful running is related to what else is going on in your life. And the fact that you were able to find a utopia to train for the Chicago marathon and, and capitalize off of that and feel so great is, is really evidence of how important um, those other factors are. So let's get you to Chicago. You have a goal. Um, and first, I hope this isn't a spoiler, but share, share what your goal was um, going into this and, and what you shared in the book and how Coach Rosario um, responded to your goal. Yeah. So, yeah, there's, um, you know, I blogged about this experience in real time. So it's, I, I'm not worried about spoilers. Okay. People, people can, <laughs> that's fine. I mean, I, I, I appreciate that you want to respect that, but it doesn't matter. Um, like, Yeah. It, this, this isn't a mystery, you know. <laughs> you can look up results online. Yeah. <laughs> People right. can Google. Yeah. yeah, so, I mean, I guess part of the reason I wanted to do this is that I, I never felt I had achieved what I was capable of as a runner. Again, I wasn't trying to get to the Olympics, but I had sort of my version of it. Um, and I had always wanted to run a sub-240 marathon. And I, I got close. Um but it just like, I never quite got there. And then, you know, I, like, I, I had a like legitimate full blown midlife crisis when I realized that it was just never going to happen. Like I remember DNFing a half, I, I mentioned this in the book too. Uh, I DNF'd a half marathon when I was like 42, 43. It was when I was having a, like a little bit of a Renaissance with my mm -hmm. running. And then I thought, you know, I still have it. And then for me, that was the, the moment where it's like, no, you don't. And you're, and guess what? Like, it's over. Like, you can still run, but you've set your last PR, dude. And, and like, and I know. And, you know, if, if you've been on that journey as long as I had, I mean, for me, like, I love all kinds. I love everything about running, but I'm a competitor. And so I was always chasing PRs. And so, like, it was like the rug was pulled out from under me. And so it took me a while to just sort of, you know, accept that and move on. But then lo and behold, I had sort of another renaissance. And that's part of why I, that's part of what explains the timing of this whole fake pro runner thing. Um, I'd, I'd been healthy for a little while and, and, and I felt like, well, let's just do this now. Um, and I, like, as you mentioned, I had recently run a 249 marathon uh, when I arrived there. So I had slowed down by eight minutes. <laughs> compared to like my very best. So, you know, I, I figured in Chicago, like a happy ending would be, I, I could, I could sell anything that was better than I'd been able to do on my own, you know? So, um, but in the back of my mind, I still was holding on to that 239. And, and the thing is like, I went, when I went in there, when I, when I arrived in Flagstaff, I didn't think it was physically possible, not just for me, but for a human being, like, like I know the science and I like, I know there are people out there saying, oh, people set PRs at 46 all the time. Well, not when they started running when they were 11. Right. Not when they've run right. 40 marathons. I had run 40 marathons since that. Right. And, and 
that is something that we often tell our runners as well. It's not as much about your actual age. It's about your running age. Right. And, and, and all three of us, we old, we've all been running <laughs> for a long time. So um, that makes it even, okay, so keep going. So. Yeah. So, so anyway, yeah, I remember, um, and this is also described in the book, like my first meeting with Ben, like in Flagstaff at a coffee house, like I wanted to get the conversation going about my goal. And he didn't want to talk about it too much because his attitude is like, we'll see as we go. Like you're doing so much that's new up here. Uh, but, he, but, you know, so I, I told him that like, I thought that maybe in a miracle scenario, like a PR was possible. Like I could, I could, like even if by one second, so from 241.29 to 241.28, um, a nominal PR. Uh, but in the back of my mind, I thought like, who knows that that 239 i just you know it was like i thought it was like this kind of irrational childlike dream hope but i was in already in a dream environment um but so i i improved very rapidly like it, it's kind of it was funny because like ben couldn't keep up with me like you know, i was already a different sort of runner and he would you know he would give me target times for workouts and i would just destroy them and I, we would talk afterwards. I'm like, coach, like I ran the spirit of the workout. Like I did not, like I did not go into the well. It was kind of easy. And yet I blew away the time you gave me. And so it took him a while to sort of get a sense of me and sort of like catch up to me. Um, and, then, and then when we got very close to Chicago, you know, he gave me my plan for the race. And like I had, you know, I'd held back that 239 dream. But at one point, it was actually not long after I got injured. I, I I suffered um, a pretty severe groin strain doing the single most epic workout I've ever, ever done in my life. And, and I thought it was over. This is like eight and a, eight. No, it was like, well, sort of close to halfway through the thing. And I All had right, to go to You got to tell what the epic workout was first. I can't, it, it was so epic. I literally had to create a crib sheet for the <laughs> workout. I had to write it down, but it was like, it was like somewhere between 17 and 19 miles total, but it included um, a three-mile tempo, a two-mile tempo, a one, a one-mile sort of whatever you got left, and then between those, it was like um, like four times half a mile, four, four times 400 meters. So it was like it was like a little. It was everything and the kitchen sink. Seriously, like I mean, imagine like a 17-mile long run slash tempo run slash speed workout like it was it was epic and i mean the times it wasn't stupid like you know the, the times were all it made it doable and i crushed it like i was absolutely killing this workout i, I got to within sight of the finish this is on lake right road where you can see forever but like like it had just gone so well and i was like on top of the world seriously like this is in my 30 some odd years of running, this was one of my absolute peak moments. And then boom, it was like, I got shot with a nail gun oh. my groin, and I was just done. And uh, yeah, I, I um, Ben was in Singapore at the time and like his wife texted him. She's like, he's throwing bottles and cussing. <laughs> 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 what do I do? You've left me with an animal. But, <laughs> but, but yeah, so it, the funny thing was like, you know, I had all these resources, like I was in a physical therapist's office, and this is the difference between the pros and, you know, the situation most of us are in most of the time. I was in the physical therapist's office two hours later, like getting a, getting a diagnosis, getting a treatment plan, getting treatment. 
And, you know, I started, like, there was light at the end of the tunnel, like, pretty soon after I was sure it was over. And it was, it was right after that, like, way too soon after that, that I finally told Ben, I want to run 239 in Chicago. So, like, when it, when it seemed like the most absurd, like, I, I held it back at the beginning. And let, let, when it seemed like, dude, what the hell are you even thinking? Like, that's when I told him. So, so he knew that I had this dream. And then when we get to the point where we sit down for like the pre-race planning session, he says, well, you're, he, Ben believes in setting marathon goals based on a pace, not a time. He's like, especially if it's a flat route, like Chicago is. Mm -hmm. So like he, he, he thinks like, what is the, the fastest pace? I'm hundred percent certain that you can hold for that distance. And he calculated that it was 605 for me, 605 per mile. And when he told me this, he said, so he didn't, he didn't say, here's your goal time. It's here's your goal pace. Mm -hmm. Of course, having dreamed of running a 239 marathon for close to 20 years at that point, I knew what a 605 <laughs> pace added up to. So this big grin breaks out on my face when he tells me what, what the pace is. Cause like, I'm like, he thinks I can do it. Um, so yeah, that's what that he, I like, I was going to do what he said, you know, seriously, I wasn't going to, disobey him like and, and what was your pace your your finished pace was what like 605.05 or <laughs> yeah that was like no i was within like yeah i think it was like 605.005 <laughs> right <laughs> and yeah. did you do you look back and say that do you think you had any more in the tank when you finished or do you feel like that was exactly all you could give it, it was kind of a weirdly frustrating race i mean like obviously like a miracle happened, like something I literally did not think was possible going into it happened. But of course, you know, when you get inside something, you want it all, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, there's this uh, wonderful character in the book. I mean, the, the book, I, if it's a good book, like it's partly because of the people, you know, mm -hmm. the, I, they're just such cool people and they become mm -hmm. characters in my story. And someone who actually, a pro runner who had just moved out there, who wasn't a member of the team, her name is Sarah Crouch. And we sort of became... We know Sarah. She, yeah. She's the one. Isn't she the one who texted you who said, like, you, you've got more in you? I think at the beginning, yes. towards the beginning, she sent you a text that said, like, buck up and, and go for, go yes. for, you know, go for broke. Yeah, because yeah. we would run together. She had run 232 for the marathon. <laughs> and granted, like, she, I caught her, like, when she was, I guess, not at her best when we were, I mean, it's the whole reason we could train together there. But, she, you know, she saw me, like, we would run together and she would be more tired than I was. And, and she, when she heard I wanted to run 239, she said, dude, I've run 232 and you're fitter than I am. Like, mm -hmm. you need to raise the bar. I'm like, the bar is already at something I think is probably not even possible. So, and she was also running Chicago too. So with this weird kind of like fake rivalry, we just did all this smack talk. It became just one of the <laughs> fun little sideshows of the, uh, experience but but i think she was right like two things um chicago was warm that year um and you know, i knew the moment i left the hotel that the morning of the race i'm like oh boy <laughs> i mean it wasn't crazy but it was too warm um, and this was chicago 2017 correct yeah. Yeah. yeah okay yeah i think it got into the upper 70s that, day. that was a hot year yeah yeah um and then also my groin, which I had had this, mm -hmm. you know, I've been able to overcome. Uh, that was kind of another mini miracle just to get over this thing that I thought was a showstopper. 
it reared its ugly head around eight miles into the race. Like it, mm -hmm. it came back. Um, so the plan was Ben had told me like run 605s until you're sure you can speed up. Cause like his deal is like, he doesn't think 605 is the fastest pace I could possibly run if everything goes perfectly. It's the fastest pace he's 100% sure I can sustain, which means he's about 80% sure I can go faster. I mean, that's really what that means. Like, that's how you run a smart marathon. It's like, you pick a pace you know you can hold. You don't want to leave time on the table, but you also, like, if you start to slow down involuntarily in a marathon at 20 miles, you're not going to be losing seconds. You're going to be losing minutes. So you yes. have to be a little conservative. So he said, like, if you get 18, 20 miles in and you can squeeze it down, is his term for it, he said, go for it. So... So I, when I got to that point, I, I was thinking, like, Sarah's right. I'm in 235 shape. Like, if it were cooler and my groin weren't talking to me, like, I have a, a ton left. And so I ended up, like, trying to, quote, unquote, squeeze it down. But as soon as I did, the groin just said, like, you do that and you're not even going to finish. <laughs> and so it became, like, hugely frustrating because, like, it was actually the easiest all-out marathon I've ever run. Uh, you know, later that I, I describe it also in the book, like I finished the marathon. I, I sit down for a meal back at the host hotel with Ben and Josh Cox and Aaron Braun who ran 213 that day. Um, and then I'm like, well, how am I going to get back to my hotel? I end up running because like I was still <laughs> up to it. Like I started walking around. I'm like, I'm kind of fine, you know, and well, that's yeah, a testament to, to your training too. That's, a, that's probably a testament to the training that you did. We always tell people when they feel good after a race that, that means they were well-trained. Yes. Yeah. It's funny though. When I got this, so people, you know, who, you know, who Kellen Taylor is? Yeah, of course. Yeah. So she's a, she's, um, you know, she's now a 224 marathoner. Mm -hmm. um, and she's just like, she's one of these like hard as nails. Like she mm -hmm. wears her toughness, like body armor type of people. Like it just radiates off her. I mean, she was fun to write about. Um, and, uh, but she's like, I mean, she's always in character. Like, Kellen, every, everything that comes out of her mouth is just classic Kellen. So I get back to uh, Flagstaff, like, the, you know, the day after the marathon. And I, it was like, people met up. I stayed at Matt Yano's house. He was a member of the team. Mm -hmm. and so Ben had everyone meet there so they could say goodbye to me before going on a group run. And I see Kellen. She's like, I mean, everyone, everyone knew my result, but she's like, how you feeling? And I, and I told her, like, I could probably run with you guys right now. And she's like, you didn't run hard enough. <laughs> right, right thank you love it <laughs> love it well I it's really um very inspirational for any master's runner out there that thinks that their their time is up there's always um new goals to pursue it may not be specifically a PR but it doesn't mean that your your dreams and your goals are in your past they can continue and um I just want to pivot for a moment and ask you what was it like for you Fast forward to have another happy ending to your book, and that is a member of the NAZ elite, Alphine. Alphine won the women's trials, and yeah. to see the members who train with her embrace and um, the team um, finally getting all of the recognition it deserves for the transparency that you had previously mentioned and the camaraderie that the team displays in all of their social media. Talk to us and tell us what that was like, and have you been in touch with any of them since the Olympic trials? Uh, yeah. So, I mean, um, I mean, the team dynamic is huge, I, it, you know, and, you know, Ben, t Ben 
kind of let me understand a little bit about like how he does recruiting. Like he doesn't necessarily try to get like the best college runner he can get. Like, like the team thing, chemistry is like, you need enough talent, right. To, to make it as a pro, but for him, the team dynamic is everything. Like he, he told me like, I'm a culture builder. Like I don't know all the science, like some coaches do, like I'm not a guru, but I know how to build cultures. And you see the fruits of that. Like, it, like it's like that cliche, a rising tide floats all ships. And um, it's just true. Like, I mean, they're competitive, but they're, they're competitive the way teammates should be. Like, you know, they all want to be the best, um, but they're, they genuinely support each other. And I, I, I mean, it's not like I was a threat to any of them, so I get it. It was a little different. But they were just so support. Like, when I got hurt, like, they were – and, um, yeah, so – so it's it's legit. It's real. Um, Alafine was not on the team when I was out there. So it's I because I, she seems just awesome. Um, she does, yeah. yeah. So I, I I would love to have uh, uh, gotten gotten to know her. Um, but you know, I still like like I still wear all my like NAZ Elite shirts and hats and stuff. I I'm gonna keep that stuff till it rots off my body. So <laughs> like you know, just like they're my team. You know, so um, you know. Yeah, I, I keep in touch with uh, a lot of the people. You know, just yesterday, like, I made a list of people I need to send free about, like, the courtesy copies of the book, too. So, like, anyone, if your name is in the book, you're getting a, a free copy. And so I was actually contacting all of them, like, trying to get addresses. And it was a really fun exercise because, like, I love these people. Like, I'm, I'm closer to some of them than to others. Like, you know, Ben Rosario and I are actually now working on a book together. Oh. Um, it's, it's sort of actually like a practical sequel to this one. It's called Run Like a Pro, Even If You're Slow. Uh, oh, love uh, it. <laughs> there's going to be a demand for that, right? Like, uh-huh. you know, people will read this and be like, well, that's, a, that's very inspiring. Now, what do, I, what do I do with all this inspiration? Mm-hmm. And what have- do you do when you're not a pro and you don't have those? You know, what, I mean, what are you going to do now that you're home and you don't have exactly. that PT that you can run to right away? How, what are you going to take from that? And now, how are you going to? You know, implement some of that in your normal, normal, average, sort of above average Joe life. Yeah, you know, I, in some ways, I viewed that as sort of the end of the experiment. Um, because, you know, when, when, when my Flagstaff experience was coming to a close, you know, people asked me, it's like, well, what are you going to do next? And I would tell them, like, I'm just going to chill for a minute. Like, you know, I, I, I told them like the worst mistake I think I can make is to try to keep it going because it is good. I, I, I've been, I'm experienced enough to know that I could be in for a big come down. Um, and so of course I get home and, and I think it was partly because I knew I could have run faster in Chicago if it had been cooler. And if my groin hadn't acted up, I'm like, you know what? Forget what I told them. <laughs> so I immediately, I immediately sign up for another marathon and I started getting after it. But but my, the way I rationalized it, I think there was actually something to this. It's like, I thought like the last part of the experiment was to see how much of that, that pro runner thing I could recreate back home. Cause that's what I am. I'm going to end up passing on to people I coach and both, you know, face to face and, and through writing. Um, so I think it was worthwhile, uh, you know, so I actually purchased a marathon, like Ben Rosario's advanced marathon training plan, like he sells them online. Um, and so I was still doing the training. It's like, okay, check that box. I can still train the NAZ elite way. 
Um, I could still do all the corrective exercises that you know the physical therapist had taught me. The altitude was gone. The teammates were like little things like just having someone hand your bottle to you as you pass by. <laughs> like I got so spoiled. Um, like and also I, I got to run Chicago as a pro. Like I, so I had I had I got to grab bottles from the elite state. Like you have to understand. Like you have to be a two thirteen marathoner for a guy to, to get a pro bib at, at Chicago. There are 48 pros total in Chicago, 40,000 non-pros. <laughs> and so like there I was like standing, like if you watch the TV coverage and you see the like NBC camera showing the start, like I'm on, I'm there. I'm like right behind Jordan Hesse, like, hey. <laughs> which, which by the way, that justice position is hilarious because for those of you who have met you're very tall. Yes. <laughs> so it's easy to spot you next yeah. to Jordan, who's very tiny. Yeah. How do you go back after that? That's, that's a hard, I, I actually was fortunate enough to have a sub elite experience at, at New York City Marathon years ago. And I always said, I don't know if I'll ever be able to, I obviously have, I how hard it is to go back. They, you know, took us in a bus to the start. We had heated tents and food and massage therapists and yeah. they walk you to the start. And I said, wow, how do you ever go back from this to kind of being a common person in a, in a marathon? Yeah. Like, the same as with the training. How do you go from training yeah. with elite and pro and having people hand you stuff and your courses set up and timed to, to back to, to normal? Yeah. So, I mean, it's just a matter of like, you know, what are you going to do? Just like throw a pity party about it. I mean, like, I mean, it, it is a come down, but then you just, you, you move on. And so that's what I've been doing because, you know, some time has passed now. So I definitely, you know, it changed me forever. Like, I, I guess the thing I hold on to the most is that when you're a pro, the mentality is no stone unturned. Like mm -hmm. there are all these little ways, like even if you're a very serious amateur athlete, you may think you're checking all the boxes and you're not cu cutting corners. Trust me, you're not checking all the boxes. You are cutting corners. And so I've just been able to keep my, having that experience to, you know, draw upon, I can call myself out when I'm like cutting short a warm up, you know, cause I feel pressed for time or, or just like, I don't want, want to go through the hassle of seeing a sports doc, you know, when, when something's uh, it's like, Oh man, I have to, I'm half a day of work and, there's no one good in this area anyway. It's like, no, make the call, go see the doc. Um, so just stuff, you know, lots of stuff like that. Little things with the diet, like Matt Yano, the guy lived, lived with is like, like his diet, like nobody can measure up to it. You just can't. It's like, Oh yeah. The food he ate that you described in your book sounded so delicious and healthy every meal. <laughs> yeah, I know. That's the thing. Like, like it wasn't just that it was like super clean and healthy. Like, it was delicious. I mean, the guy's a foodie. Like he has like, you know, all these cookbooks. He's a great cook. He's always in the kitchen. Like it becomes one of like the recurring refrains in the book. Like whenever I need to find Matt, like I, I go to the kitchen because he's going to be there. But yeah, that's the thing. It's like, he didn't, he's not sacrificing. It's like either I eat yummy or I eat healthy. It's like, no, I do both. Uh, so yeah, lots of little tidbits in the book for even if you don't want to be inspired, if you just want to pick up, pick up practical tips, Watch yourself, Matt. Pick up so, Matt, when is your book um, going to be released, and, and where can people buy it? Um, Cinco de Mayo, which happens to be, so that's May 5th for the non-Spanish speakers. <laughs> 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 which also happens to be my birthday. Happy birthday. Your early birthday. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think everywhere, running the dream, Matt Fitzgerald, you'll end up on the publisher's page. I, I encourage people, if you have a local book, book shop to,
purchase from them. Like a lot of them are really struggling these days. And uh, so that, that would be like, even if you have to wait an extra few, few days to get it, they could use the support. Um, but if you don't, like if you're a Kindle person, I get that. Like this is how I make my living. So I want you to read it regardless one way or another. <laughs> and it is a great book. We both um, did have an opportunity to read it. And, and as coaches, I felt like it was such a great um, insight into how coaches who coach the pros work and how, how they think and the things that are important to them. And as runners, it was such a fun, it was like a, you know, living vicariously through you as runners who would love to, love to do that too. But, uh, and the takeaways of how can you, you know, incorporate some of those things, all those parts into, into our lives. So I, I, I really, I enjoyed it. And just the stories, the human interest stories I thought were, were really fabulous. So it's a good read. Right on. Thank you. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much, Matt, for joining us today for a second time. Um, next, when your next book comes out, we'll invite you back on. We always love chatting with you, and we hope very soon that we get to see you again in Boston, whenever that is. So, yeah. thank you. Yeah. Likewise. Thanks for your time. Thanks for your interest. Thanks right. so much. Take care. Bye.